Hi everyone, and welcome to the Life in the Wildlands podcast, where we discuss exciting opportunities with outdoor careers, share professional experiences, and provide advice to overcome the hurdles to federal employment. I am your host, Becky Schufelt. And today we have Will Arendt, who is a Forest Service employee in Georgia, and he's going to share how he got started with the agency and how he hasn't let his disability stop him from being involved in what he loves to do. So thank you for joining us, Will. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. I, I have been a volunteer uh, since 09 uh, here on the Blue Ridge District on the Chattahoochee County. Uh, I am in a wheelchair. As far as office uh, duties, I have helped with uh, front desk uh, customer service, uh, you know, greeting visitors, uh, answering telephones, uh, more or less uh, customer service. And then also in the fire world, I have done dispatch, uh, logistics type stuff, monitoring radios, that kind of stuff. It sounds like you've done a number of different duties for the Forest Service. So how did you get your start? And how did that lead you into wildland fire? Well, my mom is the SSS here on the Blue Ridge. Uh, and I have been going with her to the office on uh, wildfires and just to the office in general since I was little bitty, uh, as long as I could remember. And can uh, you tell us when SSS is? Yes, she is the support services supervisor. Okay. And then um, she, uh, I, I went on when she would work wildfires uh, here on the district. I would go when every fire pretty much. Then after I graduated in 06, I just, I've always had an interest in fire. Um, I've actually got to, go to several just kind of watch and uh talk about the or see the uh like primo balls um being dropped from the helicopters how they were you know how they were injected with the fuels to light the fire with where like uh manpower can't be put for a certain reason or and like i said fire just has been a very interest my whole career so did you have any specific uh, interest in fire and did you have an experience that really got you more interested in pursuing a fire career? Just really uh, just knowing, you know, being around it my whole life as far as just, you know, in the office, doing a bunch of the trainings just on my own through NWCG, just as more of a interest and furthering my knowledge uh, in fire. And we've had crews up here and we have just, you know, had a lot of different crews and just a lot of things have led up to, you know, me, you know, trying to pursue actually doing something myself. So you mentioned the NWCG and for our listeners out there, the NWCG is the National Wildland Fire Coordinating Group. And through there, I believe they provide a ton of different resources for folks that want to pursue fire and it sounded like you were able to take some courses through the National Wildland Fire Coordination Group. Yes, I have taken um, multiple uh, on there. I did a lot, even though I won't physically be able to use. I took them just for the knowledge, you know, for my fire knowledge to, you know, better assist 
like in public relations, public information, that type of stuff, which is what I'm doing now um, with the team uh, I'm on now. Um, I My first assignment was this past season in 22. I went on uh, three assignments uh, with the Great Basin Team 2. So when you talk about teams, you're referring to incident management teams, correct? Yes, incident management teams. Uh, and can you and, explain to our audience what, what that means? Yes, they. Uh, when an incident grows to uh, certain guidelines, they'll bring in the, uh, different uh, qualified level teams. Uh, there's multiple uh, multiple levels of qualifications, and the team I, I have been out with is a type one team, which is a qualified team to do like large incidents. We got called out on one with wasn't the size of the fire, but it was more because there was a lot of homes endangered and helping with evacuation type stuff and just more or less being there to help the public uh, get any questions answered and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't really, you know, for the fire size because it wasn't really that big as far as the incident goes itself. Essentially, for our listeners out there, um, kind of to sum up what you said, an incident management team is a a team of up to 100 plus folks that have specialties and different backgrounds. So you have your operations section, your finance section, you have your planning section, and then you have also public information, as you said. And so what I do know, um, since we have uh, worked together previously on a wildland fire incident on a type one team, which is the most um, experienced and uh, they're, they're just the type one teams are, yeah, the the most they have the most expertise uh, within all the resources um, that they include on the incident management team. So from my understanding, you're not necessarily an actual full-time employee with the Forest Service, but you are uh, part of the AD program, which is the administratively determined, which we also have mentioned in a few other podcast episodes. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and how you got into that? Yes. What I've done was uh, I've I've done uh, several years just kind of volunteer radio operations, just kind of listening, helping, uh, as I said, with logistics type stuff. And with the pandemic, I just kind of don't get, get to go to the office quite as much. And I actually got encouraged to check out the uh, AD side of it. And we talked, talked it out and I decided to go into public information, which I am currently holding a tech, hopefully going to be trying to get my top three uh, for the PIOF, which is the next level of uh, PO qualifications. And I'm actually a virtual resource. So I don't have to go on the incident, but we have done several ways to route like the phone phone call center to my phone uh, here through several applications and into where I can answer the phone calls and take those where other resources there on the ground can, you know, help do other stuff and not have to take uh, time to answer the phone calls, that type of stuff. 
Well, it sounds like a, a really good resource for incident management teams um, to have a virtual person. And I know with these large wildfire seasons that we've been having recently, maybe not so much this last summer, but they're they're occurring more and more. And I know being on fires myself as a public information officer, we were struggling to find resources um, when, you know, we're at preparedness level five, which means that all national resources are really kind of drawn down. There's not much to pick from and fires uh, just keep burning and, and popping up. And so it sounds like that working virtually as an AD is a great opportunity for somebody that's disabled that can't necessarily make it in physical form to the wild and fire incident. Yes, yes. That, uh, you know, we had to, you know, of course we had to, you know, talk through some stuff and, you know, find, figure out what was, you know, what was able to be done virtually. And myself, along with a few other resources between the team and uh, my forest, uh, they were willing to, you know, let me try uh, public information. And I, you know, thought I was going to do it. I wasn't real sure. But after the first 14 days um, out in Arizona, which, like I said, I did virtually, but um, oh, did that. For a fire assignment as well, 14 days. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a 14 days um, fire assignment on the uh, pipeline fire. And after that one, I was just hooked. So what what was it about being a public information officer, especially working virtually, which I would find very challenging for myself, but um, I would also be interested in, in in doing that when I can't physically come out. What what was it that got you hooked? Uh, just in general, me being a fire person myself, I just have always had, like I said, an interest um, in fire, and then actually just being able to communicate with the public. Uh, getting to talk with the public, um, you know, just trying to answer any questions. And, you know, if I didn't know the answers, I would go to a different uh, team personnel, get the answers. And one of them would call that specific caller back or uh, I would get the answers myself and reach back out to those individuals that were calling in. Because on several, or we actually went on three this year uh, with the team, and at one one fire, we had over six hundred calls come through the call center. Wow, that's a that's a pretty heavy uh, call log there. So, were you responsible for answering most of those six hundred calls? Yes, I had actually done. I think it was close to three hundred of those myself. You must have been really busy on that assignment. So. Let's go back a little bit to your interest in fire. I'm really curious, like, what is it about fire that really interests you? Is it um, the the support that goes into it to help with the overall federal land management in protecting our public lands? Or is it more that connection with the community um, that you're serving that's in dire need? Or is it a combination of both? It's actually a combination of both. Yeah, I just I like learning, you know, how to, you know, the suppression, uh, how that goes into play, um, you know, how they actually, you know, do burnout option or sort of okay, burnout operations, you know, actually burning the fuels outside of the fire to slow the fire down from their aspect of slowing it down and just how the whole kind of suppression 
works and then me being a people person i you know like dealing with the public uh trying to you know just get all the information i can out to them in a timely manner and just get any info out that we can and just assist yeah, it's such a it's such an important job because essentially as a public information officer, what we do is help kind of comfort the community because a well-informed community is um they will handle the situation a little bit better than say um if we weren't doing our jobs well, we would know it because people would be upset. People tend to get a little uh, panicked and nervous when they don't know what's going on. And so I think our jobs as public information officers are, are critical. We're the basically the front line of the incident management team and the wildland fire incident. So when you are performing this work, what are the takeaways? Like, what are the huge takeaways that you get? What is that feeling? Is it, does it make you feel like good to serve the community or what what do you bring home from that? Yes, and like a uh, couple of people have told me, you know, you may have, you know, as I said, 600 calls or you may have, you know, like one or two a day. It, you know, it just kind of depends on the incident and like if, you know, nobody's calling in and you only have one or two, as one of the other team members said, you know, that's one person that you helped, even though you only answered, you know, one call. But it's, for me, it's the same feeling of, I don't know, just being at service and doing something that's meaningful for the community that's affected. And I always thought it was really important that if I was going to work for 40 hours every week for the rest of my life, that the work I was doing was going to be meaningful and helpful and and help with the overall picture of trying to protect our public lands. So kind of shifting gears a little bit. So being disabled, you found an opportunity to work virtually as an AD, which I find amazing. And I know there's other opportunities out there other than public information. I mean, there's there's a lot of other entry-level positions where I think people, if they have the time off or if they're not able to be in, in physical form, the, this is a great option to, you know, become an AD. So can you tell us a little bit more about your experience and, and how specifically you were able to get your AD sponsorship in order to even do this? Yes, I actually, like I said, I have, I started out as volunteer, just doing a lot of different uh, duties as a volunteer, uh, just kind of helping out, listening, you know, trying to better my knowledge Then when the pandemic hit. And like you said, they were, you know, just trying to get resources because um, there was such shortage at times. I talked over with our fire staff that, you know, you know, what might be my options um, to, you know, look at maybe going on maybe a virtual assignment or two. And we come to the conclusion with a couple. There was one, the documentation unit leader. That one can be done on the NWCG, of course, or public information, which is the route I went, and i done those courses, and once i done those, you have to take the uh, yearly uh, fire refresher, which is just a uh, course just going over your basic entry to wildland fire, and that's 
a lot of very good information, how to deploy, uh, you know, fire shelters, which, you know, we wouldn't do on a usual occasion. But if we were there on the fire line and something happened, you know, we would have that knowledge to be able to do that. Yeah, that's another question I was going to ask, because it seems like the fire shelter deployment might be a little more challenging for somebody in your position. But were you able to accomplish it pretty easily? Actually, with with my sponsorship, with me being disabled and not actually going to the to the fire itself, um, just being virtual, they omitted that part. I still had to take the online portion of it, but I didn't have to do the official deployment exercise. Uh, but I did have to do the online portion and pass that section of the training and my sponsorship office they done some notation you know that i wouldn't be uh, going to the incident and that they would omit that uh, part of the exercise oh that's interesting that's something i didn't know but it it makes sense you know if you're working virtual and you're not actually going to be at fire camp and sometimes i think it's a little silly for me even when i mean sometimes i go out in a line but when i'm mainly being (laughs) at fire camp and doing my my public information work, it's like, why do we have to do fire shelter deployment? But, you know, for our audience out there, I mean, there has been a few circumstances where fire camp did get burned over. And so having those skills is interesting. But I'm I'm glad to, to know that, you know, virtually that uh, omitted requirement. So that that's really good um, because that can open some doors, I think, for people that are in your situation that might want to pursue coming in as an entry-level position to being public information officer or um, some of the other opportunities that are out there. Um, But one question I had for you is, you know, with your experience now being involved um, as a volunteer and now AD uh, with the Forest Service, do you feel that the federal land management agencies such as the Forest Service really accommodate those with disabilities? Yes, I do. They, my district, again, here on the Chattahoochee, they have really helped me. They, you know, at first when I started trying to fill, you know, just kind of what was available, what was out there, they, you know, from a volunteer uh, front desk customer service, you know, that was my first entry level, just as a volunteer, and I still do that uh, to today, and that's been since 09, and then so when I started trying to look into the AD, uh, you know, you know, I kind of met with them, sent some emails, and we kind of come to the conclusion with a couple of potential, you know, opportunities to get qualifications. And the one I chose, like, like we've said, is public information, uh, because, like I said, I'm, I like dealing with the public. I have been in customer service since I was 16 uh, with other jobs dealing with the public and I just like dealing with the public and, you know, trying to de-escalate, you know, upset people, you know, trying to get them any info they need to try to, you know, help them not be as upset. Yeah. And if you love dealing with people, I think being a public information officer is absolutely perfect. And, you know, a lot of people get this um, idea that doing public information means that you're going to be in front of a camera doing interviews, which is not necessarily the case. I mean, yeah, there's 
public information officers out there that do that, but there are so many other opportunities. And I thank you, Will, for for sharing other tasks that that do need to get done. They're all a part of public information that don't necessarily have uh, one-on-one contact. But those phone calls are kind of a one-on-one contact too. They can be really intimate and, you know, you're dealing with people that are, you know, struggling, having a hard time, like their, their world's literally on fire, you know? And so it is a really important job. However, not everybody is into public, uh, into dealing with the public. So can you suggest any other opportunities that might be out there for somebody that has physical limitations? There is other, I know a couple that were mentioned to me was um, in the planning uh, department, trying to do some some of that stuff. Also, like you said, the budget uh, stuff, I could see that possibly being done virtual. And also the documentation, that's another one that's, they go through all, all of our files and give them proper titles and the way they're supposed to be labeled that way it's not kind of crazy at the end of the assignment where <laughs> one person is trying to go through all of our mess and try to fix it into what the agency uh, needs to file for that task yeah and that one's become extremely important and you know i want to go back a little bit to to the start of the pandemic which kind of really was the catalyst for um, having more virtual positions as everybody, you know, during the time, if you were working for the Forest Service outside of a wildland fire incident, you were teleworking for quite a while. And so um, the world has definitely shifted with public information and using and tapping into technology more, which is great. Um, on the other downside, though, of it is, you know, withholding like say, community meetings that you're trying to do through Zoom or Teams, um, you really have to have a little bit more expertise with that. But there there are, I guess my point is, is there are other niches out there other than public information. If dealing with the public is just not your thing, um, there's so many things out there that we need, you know, wildland firefighters need more help on incident management teams, hands down. And so if you ever want to pursue or at least see what kind of positions are out there, give Life in the Wildlands a call. We can kind of steer you in the right direction, depending on what your skills and interests are. And you and you only have to commit for 14 days at a time, which is great. And so for you as an AD, you know, you will were able to pick and choose right when when it's right for you to go out uh, when it's not. And there's a ton of flexibility there. Would you agree? Yes, they they put you in a request system where they will issue your resource orders um, to go on an incident. And like our team, if they go on a rotation with other teams, and if I am not available, I can go into the uh, ordering system and put my status as unavailable for certain days or weeks that I'm not available. And, you know, the ordering person can look and I am not available, then they would actually go to a different resource. And I think it's also important to note, too, that the longer you're in fire on an incident management team, 
um, whether you're actually a member on the incident management team or whether you you just are a single resource that get picks that gets picked up for you know an incident management team that networking is super important because you get to know who the people are that you love to work with and who you have a good working relationship with and so the flexibility i think gets greater and greater um, as you get into this and get to know more people and really understand like who it is you want to work with and who maybe you don't want to work with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And I have been, you know, I've had some fantastic uh, coworkers, you know, being willing to, you know, help me, you know, having other cell phone numbers to, you know, if I can't get this person, I may have three or four other resources that I can call or text and get answers that way I can get back to the uh, individual that I'm trying to get answers for or and either pass it along to somebody a little bit more qualified than myself to get answers or if they can you know tell me the proper answer then I will reach back out myself with their answer to clear up any any discrepancies confusion that type of stuff is there anything that you wished you would have known sooner that would have made a difference in your involvement with um, wildland fire and just overall public land stewardship? Just really, I wished I had ventured out a little bit earlier in my career that, you know, that I was able to do it. And, you know, when I, when the pandemic hit, I was actually really encouraged to try. And now that I have done, like I said, three assignments, uh, I wished I had actually got into it earlier. If you were to get involved earlier, how do you feel that would have helped you? Uh, I would actually have, you know, probably more contacts, you know, and just from my own, you know, experience uh, being a fire person, you know, loving doing the fire program, you know, that I would actually been able to do it earlier uh, because I was just kind of, you know, wasn't really sure if I could do it. And then when all the virtual stuff kind of opened up, that just gave me a lot more opportunity to do it. And, you know, if I could have done it or if I would have tried a little bit earlier in my career that, you know, I might have been able to do, you know, more assignments prior to now. Well, there's no time like the present, right? Exactly, and, yes. And I feel the same, you know, like I really wanted to get in sooner there's a lot of factors that were at play of why I didn't, but um, it, you know, I think it really in the long run doesn't matter. I think, you know, we all start off somewhere and you just continue to build on that. You continue to build relationships with some amazing folks, um, whether you're working virtually or you're in physical form on the fire. It's just um, when you find your right people, it's a well you know, oiled machine. And it's just, it makes the work a lot more fun. I think. It, it does. It really does it. And like I said, I have worked with some fantastic people just on my first three uh, assignments this past year. That's awesome. And we met on your first one. Yes. <laughs> Virtually, yep. but, um, yep. and now we're talking. So it's, it's been good. So do you have any other information you'd like to share or at least give advice to anybody that would like to pursue kind of what you're doing with the AD program and wildland fire 
and, you know, especially working virtually and, and being disabled? I would, you know, like I said, just go on the NWCG um, website and, you know, read, read descriptions. You know, there is a lot of different qualifications you can get, you know, a lot of which may not be able to do virtually, but, you know, there is so many trainings and uh, free that you can do uh, just as a general public, just to see, you know, what kind of the, what it looks like and, you know, talk with, you know, agencies, Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service, uh, talk with their fire personnel and they may be willing to, you know, sponsor you to go out on, you know, an assignment, not as a permanent employee, just as a AD, um, you know, like myself, just because I'm not, I'm not a full-time employee. I just kind of help out as needed and then also uh, stay available throughout the first season and go out with the team. Yeah, and it's it's an excellent opportunity, especially for, you know, folks that maybe have a summer available to do that in between uh, whatever, like teachers or students as well. So it's it's a really great program. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Will, for sharing your story and such helpful information for folks that might want to pursue a career or at least a, a job with the AD program with the Forest Service and Wildland Fire. And also thank you to our audience for listening in with us today. Stay tuned for the next episode. For more stories about outdoor careers, subscribe to the Life in the Wildlands podcast where I will be interviewing outdoor professionals to discover exciting opportunities in outdoor careers, share professional experiences, discuss the hurdles to federal employment, and provide advice on how to overcome these challenges. And if you're interested in outdoor jobs and don't know where to start, or if you already are a federal employee with an outdoor career that's struggling to make it to the next level in your career development, Life in the Wildlands can help you on your journey. Check out our career counseling and federal resume development services at www.lifeinthewildlands.com or call 406-848-1660.